sound was very poor, by the way, on that thing that you mentioned. Uh, on the 240. No microphone? Okay, press microphone. at the of death, which was a very enjoyable experience, alhamdulillah. <coughs> so, I want to start off with a couple of announcements. First of all, no one is allowed in this masjid or online to give me any kind of score update whatsoever. That's the first thing. Second thing is that this is quite possibly going to be the shortest lesson in the history of logical progression. The third uh, announcement is that I wanted to send Allah's choicest learned against British Telecom. His very best learned, his, his triple quality learned against British Telecom. The worst company in human history, BT, has humiliated this country, has given us the headache beyond headaches. I can't, yani, I can't send any more learned as I can against BT on my behalf, on behalf of the PQ brothers, on behalf of Abu Dhar on behalf of CMA, on behalf of Nareef, on behalf of Shahzad, on behalf of everyone, any insan who's ever had to go through an experience with British Telecom on the phone, then uh, you will know what I'm talking about. So the reason I need to put that disclaimer in first because uh, online today's lesson has had to be reduced by half the quality um, and that's the reason why the, the picture is so grainy and so on and so forth. So that's that. Uh, any more announcements? No more announcements, yeah? One more. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> that is, I mean, he, he's, he's messing with the wrong guy. He's, he's, messing, <laughs> he's messing with the wrong guy, you see, that's the problem. Messing with the wrong guy. Right, okay. So, inshallah, this is going to be a short and sweet lesson, alhamdulillah. And actually, um, we can have maybe a little bit of QA afterwards, but I am going to be out that door so quick, you're gonna not going to see my feet move. Everything's on pause. Sky HD Plus. Bismillah, mashaAllah. Um, so, uh, this is the last lesson uh, on wudu, actually. And then uh, next week, we will be having, hopefully, the uh, video and a review. And also, then we're going to have a new set of notes as well, um, which will be basically maybe the week after or so, uh, which will effectively be the start of the new big chapter, which is. Uh, the wiping over the socks which is, has a load of uh, different issues and so on so this is the final lesson and so for, from, a textual, from a textual point of view well then we are currently on the final part, page which is page 3 and um, I think what I understand from the feedback that I received certainly 
um, is that people were not happy with this kind of condensed version of notes, right? Like uh, like five, six lines of Arabic and five, six lines or paragraphs of English. I think that's the feedback I got. They'd rather go back to the old style, which is to only have like one or two lines of Arabic and one, two lines of English. Is that is that the popular position here? No? I seem to remember reading that on the forums. It's been a while since I've been on, but I mean, that's what I seem to remember. I will go on soon. I'm just busy for the next maybe seven days or so, and then I will next week, inshallah, towards the end of next week, I will go and do a little bit, a little bit of cleaning up on the forums. I know the rest of the guys have been there on there as well, though. So inshallah, I will be preparing the next set of notes, probably like that. I'll just go and check to see if that really is the case, but that's what I understand anyway. Um, and so anyway, so the uh, text that we're going to be covering today refers to um, the Arabic This is the English Then one raises his gaze to the sky and invocates with that which has been narrated and finally it is permissible to assist one with their wudu and it's permissible to dry one's limbs to dry one's limbs Okay, so let's look at that uh, so Shaykh Al-Uthameen says on page 219 of the commentary He goes, so he says that which has been narrated What has been narrated, what actually has been narrated What's the sunnah to say after you make wudu? Well the answer to that is what has been narrated by uh, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh And then in continuation Allahumma ja'alni min al-tawwabin wa ja'alni min al-mutatahhirin and the hadith says fa inna man asbagh al-wudu'a thumma qala hadha dhikr futihat lahu abwaab al-jannah al-thamaniya yadkhulu min ayyiha sha' and the one who then says this, uh, this these two words then uh, these two statements then and he has perfected his wudu' then he says the, the, this dhikr then all of the uh, uh, gates of paradise uh, eight gates of paradise will be open for him he can enter from whichever one that he wishes whatever that he wishes now we talked about that uh, this hadith last week and what I want to say to you is that um, there is some uh, there is a, 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 a number of discussions actually because the actual narration in um, in Sahih Muslim okay which is the asal which is the original uh, if you like the the uh, the, the dua, um, it is had the hadith of of uh, Umar ibn al-Khattab again, okay, as narrated by by uh, um, <coughs> yeah, as has as has been narrated by Imam uh, Muslim, is Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. Now, the reason I make that point is because in the narration of Imam Ahmed and the narration of Imam Abu Dawood, there's a slight difference. It's Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. I just want to identify to you three different versions of this shahada. So the first one, this, which is this one of Imam Ahmed and Imam Abu Dawood. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ The second one would be أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ 
وَأَشْحَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُ And that, that statement, okay, is the statement of Sahih Muslim. That is the purest, simplest of Sahih Muslim. It has also authentically been narrated. And this is the position of our Shaykh, and it's also the position of a number of the muhaqqiqeen, the more kind of modern contemporary scholars, that the correct narration is Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. Meaning, there's no need to repeat the shahada again. So you've already bared witness, okay? Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa anna, which would be translated as I bear witness there's nothing worthy of worship except Allah, and that Muhammad is his final servant and messenger. Whereas the one that is uh, in Sahih Muslim, I bear witness there's nothing worthy of worship except Allah and I bear witness that Muhammad is the final servant and messenger. So the difference between them is minute and I'm very happy for the class position to be the, 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 the riwayah of Muslim. The riwayah of Muslim, which of course is very authentic and well preserved. And so that's what we go with. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. And the, um, the next statement that I want you to know is this statement, Allahumma ja'alni min al-tawwabin wa ja'alni min al-mutatahhirin. Oh Allah, make me from those who are continuously repenting. Oh Allah, make me from those who purify themselves. Now, this is a dua which, subhanAllah, has been narrated by Imam al-Tirmidhi. It's very interesting. It's been narrated by Imam al-Tirmidhi and Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, uh, rahmatullahi He considered this, this portion, which is an increase actually in the uh, hadith of Sayyidina Umar, which is narrated by Imam Tirmidhi, he considered this increase to be weak. He considered this increase to be weak. Um, Sheikh Lalbani, from the modern day hadith scholars, um, he actually considered this to be authentic, okay? He considered this to be authentic, and that's the position of, um, that's the position of a few, a few of the hadith scholars that actually this, this extension is authentic. Sheikh Al-Uthameen himself is happy with this. He always used to, in his Q&A, used to uh, uh, consider this hadith and its increase to be authentic as well. And that's the position of the Saudi ulama in general. So that's something which I'm happy with personally. I'm happy with it, not just from a textual point of view in, the, uh, in that from his chain, but I'm also happy with it in terms of his tanasub. Tanasub means its uh, uh, applicability or its its um, its uh, uh, its suitableness. Is that a word? Suitableness, suitability, suitability. Its suitability because Subhanallah, the wudu has has two functions. Okay, um, a ritual purification, a ritual purification, which is different from a physical purification, as we used to go on about so much before if you wanted to really be purified we'd use like you know a waterfall worth of water and lots of soap yeah you'd come really really clean so this is not about that this is using meaning minimal water so this is a ritual purification where you do something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's one of its functions to purify yourself for your uh, uh, actions of worship and its other one is to forgive your sins yani it's it's I want you to understand that the wudu itself is a tool just like the prayer is Yani that the wudu itself is a way of expiating your minor sins. Not the major sins, but the minor sins. And so you'll find that, that it's almost that once you go into the wudu, 
when you come out of it, you come out a new person. And if you think about that from a conceptual point of view, you're not only are you washing yourself, but you're doing it in a very, very specific way. And if you remember what I spoke about a couple of weeks back, that if you're able to actually be in the, in, in the zone, be present during your wudu, whilst you're rubbing your limbs and so on, if you did take my advice and slow down and stop kind of, you know, every few seconds and just think about what you're doing and just look at the limbs that you're washing and, and think about yani, the purification which is going on, you'll realize that it, it does have actually an intensely spiritual uh, uh, impact. It is a purificatory process. And so I would like you to be able to connect to that. And if that purification, which is shedding oneself of one's previous and entering now into a pure period, then the renewal of the shahada, which is definitely authentic, doesn't require any kind of like um, interpretation. You're making the shahadatain each time, okay? Um, it's a renewal. It's a renewal of your faith, okay? You don't become kafir by, by you know, breaking a wudu and being a couple of hours out of wudu, right? This, this uh, renewing of your shahada is a renewal of your own personal self. And I think that we need to think about that in a, in a conceptual way. When you come out of that wudu, you should be thinking, I've just purified myself for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I am a new person as a result of it. I'm like, I'm feeling new, a new Muslim, you know, bang on, let's take you know, the next act of worship. And then at the same time, you're also in a position where you are, are looking at yourself and thinking that, as the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said in the long hadith, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote it to you now because it's a really beautiful hadith and we should know. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said in Sahih Muslim from the hadith of Amr ibn Abasa, a hadith of Amr ibn Abasa radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, ما منكم من رجل يقرب وضوءه فيتمضمض ويستنشق ويستنثر إلا خرت خطاياه إلا خرت خطايا وجهه وفيه وخياشيمه ثم إذا غسل وجهه كما أمره الله إلا خرت خطايا وجهه من أطراف لحيته مع الماء ثم يغسل يديه إلى المرفقين إلا خرت خطايا يديه من أنامله مع الماء ثم يمسح رأسه إلا خرت خطايا رأسه من أطراف شعره مع الماء ثم يغسل قدميه للكعبين إلا خرت خطايا رجليه من أنامله مع الماء It's a very beautiful hadith. Nabi صلى الله عليه وسلم said that no, none of you um, will go forward and make his wudu and he will wash his mouth and goggle and he will rinse his nose and, and, and snuff out his nose except the except that the his sins the sins of his face and his mouth will exit through the nostrils his sins will literally fall through his nostrils so then he will wash his and he won't be he won't wash his face as Allah has commanded him except that all of his sins will drop from the from his face from for the men from the beard, from the hair of his beard along with the water so every drop is the dropping of the sins and he will not wash his uh, hands until the elbows except that the sins will drop from his fingertips along with the water and he will not wipe his head except that the sins will drop from his head 
from every single hair along with the water and he will not wash his feet until and including the ankles except that his sins will drop from his feet and from his toes with every drop of water as Nabi Sallallahu said so yani we talk about the dropping of sins and this is actually pertinent because it's going to come back up later right at the very end the final statement yani this act of wudu is, is a purification it's a cooling down generally if someone's angry or, or not feeling kind of right we know water kind of does that alright it cools you down it has a cleansing process physically as well there's no doubt about that you're touching water at the end of the day it's a ritual purification where you are where you you it's an ablution there's nothing more to say if you understand the word ablution it's a spiritual purification where you buy your intention you prepare yourself to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you come out you come out of it renewed and you make this dua you make this dua which is basically reaffirming your faith as a new muslim almost you recognize that your sins have been ha, have been released as a result of the action you seek uh, you seek uh, uh, you ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take make that uh, to accept that from you and you say oh allah make me from atawabin make me from those people who not who are not just taib taib is the one who makes repentance Tawabin is the one who's con constantly always going back and making tawbah, making tawbah all the time. And min al-mutatahirin, meaning from those people who are constantly always purifying themselves as well. Give me this longevity that I can possibly. And what's even more beautiful, of course, is another narration which is narrated uh, in the ha in, uh, by Imam al-Hakim in his Mustadrak. And it's also narrated by Imam al Nisa'i in uh, Ibn Sunni, uh, sorry, by Imam Nisa'i, in his small book, Amal Yawm al Layla, The Actions of the Day and Night, that the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and he is narrated in the hadith, although it is the narration of the companion Abu Sa'id al Khudri, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that he said that when you finish the wudu, you should say, Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, Ashhadu Allah ilaha illa ant, wa astaghfiruk wa atubu ilayk. Subhanak Allahumma bihamdik. Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdik. May you be glorified, Ya Allah, far and far removed you are and transcendent and perfect you are, far removed you are from the nonsense of this world. You are supreme. Allahumma wa bihamdik. Ya Allah, and by pray by your praise, we praise you. Subhanak Allahumma bihamdik. Ashhadu Allah ilaha illa ant. I bear witness there's nothing worthy of worship except you. Astaghfiruk. I seek forgiveness from you. And I turn to you in repentance. I turn to you in repentance. It's like a coming back. The Toba also comes from the word of turning around, turning back. And so a person really, by these dua at the end of his wudu, is actually quite, how can I say, he really is emphasizing this newness, this freshness, this state of istighfar and Toba. And all of these duas have tanasub. So this, I want to say to you that um, this final third uh, dua is something which has been without doubt narrated from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri. No doubt. And it's authentic from him. The discussion and the debate is whether it was a statement of the Prophet ﷺ. Meaning that does this have a hukam which we call marfu' or mawquf. What does that mean? Mawquf means that it stops just at him. Meaning it is just his statement. Mawquf. There's waqf. That the statement itself just stops right at him. It doesn't go higher than him. And marfu' comes from rafa', which means it's raised. Raised to who? Raised to the Prophet 
And we said that most of the time we can identify whether something is raised or not by the manner of the way that he's saying it, the companion. If he's saying something which is related to divine knowledge, which doesn't look like he could have come up with it himself, then we give it the assumption that it is raised. Now, I want you to know that a number of the ulama, they uh, discuss this. Ibn Hajar, he opined that yani, it is raised and Shaykh al-Albani did the same. So Shaykh al-Albani considers this to be a hadith of the Prophet and therefore it is a sunnah. Therefore it is a sunnah insha'Allah. Therefore we can conclude, we can conclude that after, uh, in, in, in explanation of the statement, ma warad, to state after the wudu, that which has been narrated, then insha'Allah the three most authentic statements that one can say, after you finish your wudu, after you finish your feet, preferably to be on the safe side outside of the bathroom, even though as we've said before, the toilet is a toilet, which is, has nothing else but a toilet, okay? But we, have, we don't really find that anymore in our, in our homes. We have a bathroom which has a toilet in the corner. And just by, si just by size, you will see that the toilet area maybe occupies 20%, 10% of the room, 20%, no more than 20%. And water and a bath and a sink and a radiator and tiles, these are there's nothing intrinsically wrong with these with these parts. This is not a uh, to wash oneself is not a uh, uh, a toilet. Meaning to be near the bath or near the, near the sink it does not have a negative connotation. The problem of course is, is that we will still consider that the toilet, okay, or the lavatory, even though it is part of a bathroom. And um, we have our, our class position is that if you are by the sink and not by the toilet, then you're okay to make your dua of making dua when you come into the bathroom, making dua to say bismillah, and even technically speaking, making dua after wudu. But there's no doubt that it's the better one to be on the safe side to come out of the bathroom, say ghufranik, may Allah forgive me, I seek your forgiveness. And as soon as you come outside, make your dua. And that's just to be on the safe side. I'm not saying that that's my position, I'm insisting on it. But at least it avoids the difference of opinion of the scholars. We're happy to, you know, to, to let go on that one and make the du'a outside. So outside, you can then, after you finish your wudu, you will say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh Allahumma ja'alni min al-tawwabin wa ja'alni min al-mutatahhirin Subhanaka Allahumma bihamdik Ashhadu an la ilaha illa ant wa astaghfiruk wa atubu ilayk um, And that that would be the complete what has been narrated from the Prophet and it is the taught position of this class insha'Allah as a dua. Now I also want to mention that there is no authentic narration that establishes any dua during the wudu. Okay and this is something which uh, we do at home as packs and stuff like that. Okay and we don't have that. We have no basis for that. We have no evidence for that. And also we don't have the uh, idea um, that we must raise your finger when you make the shahada as well. People do that after the, the wudu is done. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah and so on. There's no basis or any evidence for that as well. Person just did it automatically. We can live with that. Person who believes that's what he should do every single time he finishes wudu. This would be considered bid'ah because that would be him associating and regulating the lifting of that finger. And there's no, there's no evidence for that. Okay, so... Um, so that's some, some points from myself. Sheikh Rothaymeen, he goes, um, so he, he, just, he just carries on the same vein. He goes, it's clear that this is a, the, 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 the dhikr that we just mentioned, it really does fit the wudu. 
efes the wudu because the wudu uh, is a tathir al badan mutatahhirin it is a purification of the body and this purification and this this dhikr this dhikr is and actually he makes a very nice point he goes that sometimes when a person goes into wudu he may be not focusing on the complete package the complete package he goes that he might be because he's looking at dirt looking at oil looking at things on his hands so he'll focus on the physical purification and you'll forget the spiritual he goes off you can you can he goes what you can see it then as is that the wudu itself is the physical purification and that the dhikr itself is the spiritual purification the purification of the heart and we know that and nabi sallallahu said that the heart the condition of the heart the one who makes constant dhikr the one who doesn't is different the difference between a man who's dead and a man who's alive and, that, and, and another narration, the difference between a, re a wrecked house, you know, a ramshackle, broken down house, and a house which is thriving and happy and, and joyous. And so that's the difference between the, the, the two. Um, Shakir Thameen goes, he goes it's an, an interesting point is that some of the scholars said that this dhikr that we just mentioned, okay, all of it, this is also to be said after ghusl and tayammum as well. This is what some of the ulama mentioned, and he gives some he gives some references al insaf of the Hanbalis and the book which is called al uh, azkar uh, by Imam Nawawi, the, the, the remembrances uh, or, or dhikr uh, azkar, the various litanies by Imam Nawawi, which is a very famous book. Okay, and it's probably going to be out in English very very soon as well. Um, and that's one of Imam Nawawi's statements that you should also say this after and he goes the reason for that is because ghusl uh, it, it contains wudu and more than that it actually encompasses encompasses wudu okay and actually the proper sunnah ghusl has a complete sunnah wudu in it so it makes sense okay and he said also when you wash yourself completely or ghusl the meanings of the dua is even more intense i.e. a real physical proper, uh, uh, purification, really. Allahumma ja'al minal mutatahhirin, that part, yeah? And then, as for atawabin, then, you know, the bath is a significant kind of idea. When a person uh, is about to pray for the first time, for example, they need to have a ghusl, okay? And our new Muslim, you know, there's this confusion that when, <laughs> I remember that when people used to become Muslim, there would be idea that, that you need to go and have a bath to leave back your previous life like new life kind of thing but like just all of a sudden you know put it on them which is a bit kind of bit rough really because there's no basis for that per se um but if they want to pray then that requires purification from whatever they were on before the state of janaba for example that they've been living in that they never made the intention to li lift or whatever and so there's some discussion about that but i consider a person who who's a new muslim they don't need to make they don't they need to make a ghusl for the fact that they're muslim but they make ghusl for the fact that they're about to pray okay and so you can imagine that to see the the, the bath as a spiritual beginning is a lot easier to see that than it is wudu so it makes sense why those scholars they applied the dua after wudu after ghusl that was their idea as for the concept of tayammum why did they apply it for tayammum they said did we do it for tayammum because tayammum is a complete exact replacement for wudu it's a like for like replacement and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says walakin which is the same as <coughs> so the same phrase has been said so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing the tayammum okay 
and allowing allowing it because he wants you to purify yourself as Allah says in Surah Al-Ma'idah. So he goes that, therefore, we can also see the tanasub, the suitability of, of, of making dua after tiyamrum. He goes, he goes, he goes, but there are some scholars that say no. You should restrict yourself to uh, saying this for wudu, wudu only. Not for after tayammum and not for after ghusl. Now, watch this. This is really good. Okay? And وَهُوَ ظَاهِرِ كَلَامِ الْأَكْثَرِ He goes, He goes, to be honest, Shaykh al He goes, to me this seems to be the position of the majority. The majority actually say that you should restrict these du'as until after uh, wudu only and not any after uh, uh, not after um, after after ghusl and tayammum and he goes for me this is a stronger opinion as well he goes because we don't have a single narration of a nabi sallallahu saying this after either ghusl or after tayammum despite having done both then he print, he mentions a qaida a maxim okay he says, كُلُّ شَيْءٍ وُجِدَ سَبَبَهُ فِي أَحْدِ النَّبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم وَلَمْ يَمْنَعْ مِنْهُ مَانِعْ وَلَمْ يَفْعَلْهُ فَإِنَّهُ لَيْسَ بِمَشْرُوعِ I'm going to translate on the fly. Every single thing that was found at the time, every single thing, um, every single possibility that could have happened at the time of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, Okay, what did I just say? And did happen. So every possible thing that could have happened and then did happen at, at the time of the Prophet and there wasn't something preventing it happening. There wasn't some kind of barrier to it. Okay, and he did not do it, then it is not legislated. Now again, I've got no idea what I just said. But Yani, if we can go back on it, I'm sure that we can we can explain it. If you can tell me what I just said. Every single possibility that could have happened and the Prophet and did happen. So every single possibility that Get out of the street. That's the Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The complete, and you see, and there wasn't, there wasn't a man. That's that's important from the fiqh point of view. From sorry, an usul point of view, the statement of the man, which is, and there wasn't a, a barrier to that happening. There wasn't a reason why, you know, some kind of reason. Um, uh, and he didn't do it. Then it's not legislated. This is actually one of the principles that some of the people used to identify bid'ah. Okay, how to identify bid'ah. Meaning, what we need to do is to look at the action. So the action is what? Ghusl. Okay? Alright. So, Ghusl. Did the Prophet ﷺ, was the Prophet ﷺ able to do Ghusl? Yes. Did he do Ghusl? Yes. Did we have any time or a scenario where, let's assume he only ever did Ghusl once ever. Okay? Was that single time that he did Ghusl once ever, did we read in that narration where he did the Ghusl once ever, that straight after he finished the ghusl, someone started speaking to him and prevented him from saying something. Okay? This would be the mana, okay? 
No, there isn't anything like that. Okay, then did he ever then make a statement of dhikr after the ghusl? No. Well, then it's not legislated. So that's the explanation of the qaida. That's the explanation of the maxim. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah? It's really, really useful that, by the way. It's a fascinating principle in Surah Al-Fiqh. Anything which the Prophet ﷺ could have done, known to have been around at that time, yani it wasn't something which was foreign, something quite normal, and could have done, and was, and he should have done, and, he, and we have no reason why he was prevented from doing it, and he didn't do it, then that in itself indicates that it is not legislated. Now, I just want to say that this is not agreed upon university. Not all the scholars accept this as a universal principle. But this is usul al-fiqh, and the different scholars, they have different tools. But this is a real gem. It's a real interesting point um, that helps scholars to make decisions upon thingy. And so, and so therefore, therefore, if you follow this usul, this usul, this usul maxim, this principle, then you can see the Prophet ﷺ made tiyamu many times, and he made the ghusl many times, and there was no evidence showing that he could have been, he was stopped from saying something. So why didn't he say it? He didn't say it. So therefore, it's not legislated. And that is what we can, um, we can leave that on that point. Okay. Um, and he goes, and he goes, um, he goes, anyway, if we're going to have an argument, he goes, it'd be really difficult to make it for Qiyamum anyway. For ghusl, yes, because at least you got the wudu there. You know what I'm saying? He goes, a person can believe that. Because we can believe that when a person is making that dhikr after ghusl, that person will say, ah, I'm making this statement for the wudu in my ghusl. I intended it for the wudu in my ghusl. I couldn't say it in the bath, and so I came out afterwards. Sheikh Uthameen goes, you know, we'll believe that person. We'll believe him. We'll take him on his face value because that's a fair enough point. He goes, how are you going to make that claim for tiyamum? It's just not there. So that's what Sheikh Uthameen kind of ends with, and I think that's very nice, to be honest. All right? Okay. Um, and then Sheikh Uthameen, he says then, and it is permissible to, it is permissible to assist another one, okay, uh, with their wudu. What do we mean by that? We basically, well here, actually, we're going to talk about something else, all right? But what Sheikh Uthameen means, and what Imam al-Hajjawi means, is the pouring of water, the pushing of water, like bringing the, so there's a lot of different levels here. There, I mean, obviously in our time, we don't, don't have this because we've got taps and it's the end of. But I mean, back in the day, you need someone to go and, you know, bring the water from the well, or you need someone to go and warm the water, or you need someone just to bring the water in a bucket and put it there for you. The next level of then, of helping you would be to pour the water for you, to be there or with you, and to make sure that you don't have to move and do it close to you and so on and so forth, and then and give you things which are close. This has been established, okay, um, and Sheikh al he says, um, and Sheikh Uthameen, he goes, he goes this, perm this permissibility doesn't need an evidence because actually it's the basic principle because water is poured and so someone normally is pouring it so it doesn't need an actual evidence to establish this the basic status quo, the basic principle al-asl as we always say the asl is that it's going to be something which is done normally so that's fine he goes, but on the, hand, on the chance that you want the evidence well the evidence of course is there the hadith in Sahih Muslim uh, Mughira ibn Shu'aba, the senior companion of the Prophet ﷺ, he poured water for the Prophet ﷺ and he made wudu. Okay? And that is narrated in Sahih Muslim, hadith number 274. He goes, 
he goes, uh, Sheikh Tamim goes, shouldn't we say this is legislated? Shouldn't we say this is something which is recommended to do but out, out of enjoining in good, enjoining in righteousness and taqwa? Shouldn't we say that this is, uh, uh, it's not good enough just to say it's permissible? We should actually say it is legislated, it's a sunnah, we should go and help people. Um, and Sheikh Tamim goes, but there's no doubt that this is something which is of from bir and taqwa. He goes, but, um, but he goes, frankly, he goes, wudu is an individual action. And it's something which people should do by themselves, okay? And we have not, we don't have any uh, evidence from the Prophet ﷺ that whenever he wants to make wudu, he would request someone to bring him water, or he would request someone to pour him water. If we had that as a side evidence, then we could make that statement and say, yeah, okay, this is definitely, you know, something which is legislated and required, okay? And uh, he goes, Sheikh Tamim goes, some of the ulama said that it is disliked to help the person making wudu unless there's a need for it, okay? Uh, and unless there's a need for it, because this is an act of worship. Uh, 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 he goes, because this is an act of worship, and really you shouldn't really be asking anyone else for any help. Sheikh Uthameen says, he goes, I'm not down with that. The position of the madhab is my, my position, and I prefer that, and I prefer that. I'll tell you something very interesting, which, uh, which is topical, of course, um, which... Uh, Sheikh Muhammad Bukhtar al-Shankiti he mentions he says that I just want to uh, give some advice uh, on this point and I thought that I would give this advice to myself and to my brothers and sisters here as well he says that this um, helping of the Prophet ﷺ in his wudu and pouring water for him is something which is narrated from Mughira bin Shu'aba from Hudayfa from Anas ibn Malik okay especially of course it's narrated in Bukhari Muslim it's absolutely Sahih. And he goes, um, he goes that uh, actually this principle of helping the Prophet is without doubt. And actually, this is something that the people should do for the people of knowledge and the people of excellence, the people of, of, of khair, Ahlul Fadl, and those who are elderly, that we should do this for the people who are elderly and our parents as well, and for the parents as well. He goes, because to serve them, to serve them, khidmatuhum ibadah, it's an act of worship to serve them to make things easy as possible for them. And it's a qurbatun lillah. It is getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by serving the creation, by serving the creation. He goes, if a person makes the intention to, to worship Allah via this act, he will be rewarded handsomely. He will be rewarded handsomely. He goes, whether that's in the pouring of the water or the warming of the water or to be standing there with a towel or something and so on. He goes, as for whether the, uh, he goes, and then Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti says, he goes, as for the people who may be younger and not so elderly, but they're younger and they're better than you for some reason, maybe they're a student of knowledge. He just says, that's something which is permissible, but I just want to say that that people have got to be careful because it creates yani, uh, some kind of like uh, superiority or some kind of uh, uh, build some kind of pride. And he want, he, what, what he wants to say is that the, one, of the, one of the worst things that can happen is that young people or inexperienced people or beginning students of knowledge um, and I mean by beginning students of knowledge, I'm talking those who are qualified at the very highest level. I mean, what, 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 who Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar and Shakit is talking about, he's not talking about us here. When he's talking about, and he's talking about the scholars in the West, that's what he would be referring to as students of knowledge. He goes, uh, the problem is, is that when you start to help these people, then they can, then it, it starts to affect them. And we've seen that. We've seen that they can become affected by that. Um, he goes, he makes a really beautiful point here, subhanAllah. 
He goes, there's a difference when you help an elderly and help the young ones. The elderly is someone who has more khushu in a general principle. They are people who have been there, lived through life, and they understand actually who they are a lot more. They're much more in touch with themselves. And they're much closer to death. They understand yani, that things are a lot more, they have a lot more gravitas and a lot more kind of appreciation about things. And he goes, they're a lot more stable. And, you know, if there was the fear that, oh gosh, I'm pretty special, you know, that mashallah, everyone wants to pour water, he will slap himself down from this self kind of deprecating kind of way in a very easy, very straightforward way. He goes, the younger people, they're not so, so much like that. And their ego can take over and, and they can start getting used to it and they can start, get, start expecting it as a norm. And they can start to get insulted and feel that, you know, why is it that, why didn't you get me my water today? Or why didn't you pass me my shoes today? Why didn't you? And so on and so forth. And so he advises that the people of, of who are young, he said that you, uh, you need to just need to maybe calm down. And he gives a reminder, and it's a reminder which is pertinent to myself as well, that um, we do expect younger people to serve elderly people. Okay, or, or, or younger people to help uh, their, uh, to, to, to serve those who are elder, or older than them. Uh, so children should be the ones who should be, for example, um, uh, putting the slippers out for when you leave the masjid, or sorting them out. You should train your children to do that. And it should be uh, 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 getting, getting keys, picking things up without you having to ask for it. It should be the done thing. And as, our, as the Arabs say, and as we always say in our circles, that the uh, that the servant of the people is the youngest. So if there's a group of people and we want something to be got, it's assumed that the youngest will be the first one to jump up and go and get it because the youngest people is the servant of all the people. And um, that is a general kind of ethos that we want to create. At the same time, I want you to know that uh, people, when they expect people to do things for them, this is going against the sunnah of the Prophet And when you want help from people, you're going away from the circle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the reason I mention this is because, and it's just, it's, just, it's just the qadr of Allah, because we talked about this last couple of days, and obviously there was this whole halabaloo about, you know, all these comments and stuff. And then, um, uh, obviously, uh, some of these Pakistani, you know, sent out this uh, email and, um, uh, you know, saying that we should be supported and blah, 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 blah. Which Jazakallah khair, and I wanted to make it very clear because this is not an issue of ingratitude. I'm not, it's not that I'm uh, uh, ungrateful. Of course, I'm. I'm grateful for all of the brothers and sisters for their efforts and for the defending of the honor of their brother and so on. Because of course, it was lies and slander. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, a lot, a lot of a lot of good people, uh, and I mentioned them on uh, Facebook today, and Um Yaqub and uh, Uthman and this and that. There's so many different people. And Mashhood and these people, they all, you know, I was, I was, uh, uh, they contacted me and so many others and said that, you know, we want to do this, we want to do that. I just wanted to say that the reason why I said I didn't want any help is because it's not from our, it's our, our school, our bringing up, our whatever, uh, our teacher himself specifically, that is not our way. So even though we come from a culture where we still, I mean, obviously we're not that young. But we come, from, we come from a culture that when we learned, we would serve our teachers. We would carry their slippers. We would carry their bags. We wouldn't dare let them do anything like that. We would open their doors and so on. It's okay for us to do that, okay? But it's not okay for us to expect that. And that's a, that's a, a, a very important point. That it doesn't matter you at the individual level 
you yourself, you should be the servant of other people. But once you expect that from other people to yourself, you've fallen, you've, you've tripped over and you've, you've lost the plot. That's not the manhaj of the companions, not the manhaj of the Prophet It's not the manhaj of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, uh, in so many parts in the Quran, I do not ask you for any, I don't, I don't ask you for any uh, reward uh, from you for this, and neither do I claim to be what I am not. Um, the famous statement that Al-Sheikh always tells us that is narrated in the Bible, of course, about Sayyidina Isa is that um, when we try to do something for him, try to carry something for him, uh, he will say straight away, he goes that I, um, I wasn't sent to be served, I was sent to serve, okay? And uh, that's important because, of course, that is the perfection of a person's ikhlas and the perfection of someone's intention, uh, 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 good deeds. And a person who is losing his deeds if he's just insisting upon people, um, it weakens a person as well. It brings a person down as well regardless of whether that person deserves it or not. And I'm not stupid. I'm, number one, I'm not stupid. And number two, I'm not modest. Okay? I don't do modesty. Right? If something is there to be said, then it's said. If something's a truth, is a truth. Uh, 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 of course, the, the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever defends the honor of his brother and his sister, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will defend them. There's no doubt about that. And that's something that everyone should go and do. But I'm not going to go and tell people to go and do it for me because that is me be, be, being pathetic. And that's weakness and uh, uh, certainly in the kind of game that we play in this game that's part and parcel of the game that is exactly what we expected in fact subhanallah I remember a statement just recently from some of the Diabandi scholars actually there was a meeting they had and uh, they got <coughs> they made a statement and wallahi it was such a true statement they said they said that you know all of this uh, um, was concerning the Islamophobia and thing that's going on and the kind of stress that they're getting from saying things which the government's not happy with, etc. And they said that, you know what it is, when we were trained, we were, we were trained and prepared for far worse than this. We were told, as part of our, 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 our education, that your learning is one thing, what you've learned, and, you're, and prepare yourself to be tested and trialed. Yani, you know, you're going to have to go through difficulties. And they said that, you know what it is, up until now we've been living our life teaching and whatever. No difficulties whatsoever. No being in prison, no being yani, harassed, not being sworn at, kicked at, fighting, killed or anything like that. It's incredibly uh, straightforward and very, very simple. And we were trained for far, far worse than that. We were trained to be sworn at, to be refuted, to be cursed, to be hurt, to be this, to be that, whatever. So... Um, that old school kind of, of, of da'wah, that old school of discipline is something which very much is the asal. And I just want to say to you that um, uh, when it comes to helping people, even when it comes to wudu or whatever, I would like to know that the people around me are those that are um, trying as much as they possibly can. It's incredibly addictive. It's incredibly addictive to be surrounded by people like I'm surrounded by this guy here. You know, who's always there, always, always, car, driving car, whatever, whatnot. It's a very bad situation to be in. It makes you very lazy, it makes you very dependent. And to be honest, I detest it, actually. And, it, and it, it's, it's, I, I have to sometimes switch off completely in something which is very debilitating to one's own reputation and one's own feelings. And so I want you to know that, that that's not the sunnah of the Prophet 
And even though he was served and even though he was like that, when he told his companions the specific advice, he said to them, do not ask anyone for anything. Do not ask anyone for anything. And that's not because it's haram, but because you preserve your honor like that. And so I, I wanted to, and subhanAllah, uh, the, that was something that I mentioned last, uh, last week or a couple of days ago. And Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankifi finishes his, uh, uh, his commentary on the Book of Wudu on that point exactly. And he mentions, subhanAllah, a few beautiful points actually. Really, really, really nice points. But anyway, uh, he goes, um, and so that's really good advice. Anyway, I just want to uh, finish off then with the final statement about drying. He goes, basic tanshif is referring to basically drying the limbs, okay, with uh, a cloth or with a towel. And he goes, what's the evidence for this? The evidence for this is the lack of evidence against it. Okay? The evidence for the permissibility of drying your limbs is the fact that there is no evidence to deny it. There's no evidence. And when you're genuinely wet, what's the basic thing you do? You dry. That's normal human behavior. So therefore, because it's normal human behavior, we would need some evidence to stop it. Okay? And al-aslu ibaha. The principle in, in, in all these things is that things are permissible. Things are permissible. This is not an act of worship, is it? Drying is an act of human necessity, isn't it? It's a human action. So therefore, uh, it's not an act of worship. And therefore, as we know, what's the principle when it comes to acts of worship? Everything is haram until proven halal. Very good. And everything other than the acts of worship, everything is halal until proven haram. So the drying is something which is permissible. Um, Sheikh says, how, how are we going to respond to the fact that Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha she came to the Prophet ﷺ in Bukhari and she presented to the Nabi Sallallahu He came out of the he came out of having a ghusl. Okay? Alright? Uh, that uh, that his wife Maymuna, when she described his making of ghusl, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. She said, so then I came and I gave him a towel and he didn't want it. He refused the towel and he used his hands to effectively uh, uh, wipe the water basically off himself. Okay, so he used his hands to wipe the water down. So he didn't take the towel. So he goes, therefore, so how do we respond to that? Sheikh Uthameen, he goes, frankly, Sheikh Uthameen goes, frankly, he goes, we can say many things to this. Maybe he didn't like that towel. <laughs> he goes, maybe it was dirty. Maybe the cloth was harsh. He goes, maybe the, clo the, 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 the cloth that was given was very nice. He didn't want to make it wet. He wanted to save it for something else. Who knows why he didn't accept it. He didn't re refuse it. But is it an evidence to not use it? No. And that's the, that's the, that's the thing. And he goes, and actually, if you really think about it, the fact that she brought him that cloth is a evidence in itself that that might have been the norm anyway. Right? Because you're not going to bring someone something just like that in one incident. That's the norm. You come and he refused it. And so, Shaykh Uthameen alayhi rahmatullah, he says the correct opinion is that what the author has said. Imam al-Hajjawi, and that is what? That it is permissible and nothing more than that. I want to add just two statements in closing. Jazakumullah khair. From the companions, we have a couple of companions who are who very clearly dried themselves after wudu. One of them is Bashir ibn Abi Mas'ud. Bashir ibn Abi Mas'ud, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, is one of the minor companions, okay? 
Bashir ibn Abi Mas'ud, and of course Anas ibn Malik, from the head of the companions and and and, and a bow narrated from him. Um, Jabir ibn Abdullah, the big narrator, the big companion, he's one of the very few who actually said, don't do it. He actually stated, don't do it, do not dry yourselves. And Abdullah ibn Abbas is like somewhere in between, is that the same thing happened, yeah, people were watching him after he made wudu and he didn't dry himself. I want to say a couple of things to this. Number one, anyone who knows anything about yani, geography and geology and all the rest of it will know that if you live in Saudi Arabia, there's no need to be drying yourself most of the time. Most of the time. Yet, because it dries automatically and actually the drying process is the only cooling kind of AC thing that you can get in 50 degree heat. You love it, okay? Problem is, of course, is that doesn't explain Fajr where it can be very, very cold. It doesn't explain winter where it can even be even colder. We do not know what time of the year it is, so we can't make a judgment based upon that. So we just have to take this, these, these statements by their, by their face value. It's something which is permissible, and we have companions, some of them that did, some of them didn't, and there's nothing says haram. I will close, though, and say that the ulama who did prefer you not using towels did it based upon the most clearest of evidences, and that is that the Nabi Wasallam, as we said at the beginning, he has stated very clearly that one's sins, they come and drop off yourself with every drop of water. And so if you know that there are sins which are dropping out of your nostrils when you wash your face and off your beard when you're washing your face and off your head when you're off your hair and when you're off your feet and so on and so forth, then surely the more drops that drop off, the more sins are going away. And the more, the more it goes away from itself naturally, the more of a cleansing spiritual process it is. And so if you are using a towel to dry that water up, are you not, the question is being asked, are you not minimizing the the effacing of sins Allahu A'lam it's a statement and that's what basically what Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shankiti said and he himself prefers he thinks that it is better that a person doesn't dry and that's his argument for it and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best and that is the end of the chapter of wudu and we will release the video I think next week inshallah which ties it all up I think I'll reflect upon that certainly the next chapter will be the chapter that it deserves to be um, and that's it Let's take a few questions, inshallah. Yeah. So Danish basically is saying that if we were to employ that logic in the idea of not using a towel to maximize the amount of drops coming off, then people would stop making wudu and, and bathe a lot more and use a lot more water to ensure more drops coming off. And I think that's a very good point. I think that's a very good point. Couldn't you get more water off with a towel than just dropping away? Yes, of course you can if you understand that the sins are removed by the drying. Whereas, if the, whereas what, what, what the hadith seems to intimate is that the sins are dropping off. And so you soaking up a sin, almost, or the water, is not like it dropping off. And who is to know about the exact nature of that? And Nabi Wasallam said that the one who shakes the hand of his brother, the sins fall off that person. Another hadith that was narrated by Ibn Hibban in Sahih, when a person goes into ruku'ah, okay, his, the sins fall off his shoulders, fall off. Yani, there's an idea, and there are, and there, there are some other hadith which aren't so strong, 
which have analogies which involve leaves falling off a person and so on. So if you look at the way that leaves shed and water drops, there's clearly like an idea happening there. There's a, a picture being made up. Is that picture though just trying to make it super clear to the people the nature of sins falling? Is it an emphasis and exaggeration in language? Quite possibly. And scholars would take it in a metaphorical sense. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an acceptable interpretation. Um, and I want you to say that what's really, what's really refreshing for me about the traditionalist scholars is that they would look at something like that, have a real good think about it and argue and a debate and a discussion and then, really, and, then, and then just be very happy to allow drops to come off. And uh, let me give you one of my statements which I made many, many years ago, um, which was when someone said that I shouldn't. I said that um, I'm happy to look at my fingers and, and allow these water uh, uh, droplets to drop off and to see them as sins because I also believe there's two angels sitting on my shoulders as well. You know what I'm saying? We don't live in this kind of temporal kind of, you know, logic-based, rationale kind of fest of a world. We believe incredible things. And it's nice, well, like refreshing for the believer to be able to look at his hand and think that these are sins falling off, you know? Because we just don't know that the nature and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created yani, this life as one with many, many hidden aspects. And as we obviously studied in fiqh of death, actually the unseen world is actually more real than the seen world, right? And uh, that's something which I find yani, very profound when you think about it. When you think about it. And every kind of reminder is always about bringing you back to reality. And that reality is always man yu'min billah wal yawmil akhir. Yani whoever believes in Allah and the last day. Both two key aspects of unseen matters. So it's very interesting. Very interesting. Any other questions here on that, Iman? Yeah, it does matter for the layman. We should we tell the layman that he should stick to Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. That's the asal. That's the basic principle du'a narrated in by a Sahih Muslim. Can't go wrong with it. Yeah, that's a very weak opinion. That's that's refuted by the Quran and by the Sunnah, um, and uh, uh, a number of ahadith which talk about uh, the, the 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 question was is that I've uh, I heard that this all sins are major sin. There's no such thing as a minor sin, and um, that's just not true. Uh, anyone who studies the Quran Sunnah at any depth will see that the Prophet sallam allowing certain actions of ibadah to expiate other actions. And when we study those actions themselves, they were sins which were not considered minor sins, major sins, which have been identified in other hadith, such as the Sab al Mubiqat, the seven deadly sins, or the Kaba'ir, which are indicated in individual hadith, and al Lamam, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, and, 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 and. So uh, it is, you're right, it is a position, but it's a weak position, and the majority of the scholars are upon the opinion that there are minor and major sins. Uh, that differentiate and that explain. I mean, Kabair by Imam Zahabi, this the seventy the major sins or whatever, is the only book that I know of. Actually, uh, I don't know any book that describes or discusses this. There's an article that I wrote about it once. Uh, download the other Persian one, and you'll find it in the in the thing that I Did we discuss that yet? Yeah, of course we did. Oh, why? Okay, so the, <laughs> the answer is that there's a full detailed explanation in Al Adab Al Mufrid season one. So you need to go to. 
two, three, okay, so two, three hours on that. So, so proper detailed uh, ex exposition on that. So that's uh, Al Adab and Wilfred season one on iTunes. So you need to go to iTunes and type in uh, prophetic guidance or something like that, and you'll find it under Al Adab Al Mufred. Yep. So you mentioned something with the fish guy. Yes. Um, with respect to making dhikr outside of the bathroom. Yes. Yes. Wallahi, yani, I want to say to you, that's a really good question. There's always difference of opinion on issues, and there's always potentially a safe side. Do we always stay on a safe side? First of all, there isn't always a safe side. Okay? There isn't always a safe side. But there is, if you look carefully enough and you are intelligent enough, there is always an opinion which encompasses other opinions and maybe wants you to do a little bit more. Okay? That's what I would define as a safe side. And I believe that for the layman, it is important to always uh, uh, apply this approach of safe side to everything in his deen. At the same time, there's a negativity behind safe side politics or safe side practice. It makes someone lazy and not academically sharp. And we are people of dalil. We are people of evidence. We are people of scientific inquiry. We are people who are, 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 have been gifted by this wonderful uh, 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 gift, the intelligence, the intellect it is what differentiates us it's what makes us amazing and it's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us to allow us to, to really take benefit from the Quran so I believe that it's okay in the meantime and, and so on, but it should only really be applied by those who know when they, are, when they are stuck as for the layman, they should be using it when they're not sure do you understand what I'm saying? and for the, elderly, for the, for the, for the scholarly people and for the students of knowledge and they are certain of a certain position, they're absolutely certain, then that's what they should uh, follow and they should teach and they should give the people confidence yani, of an opinion. And it shouldn't ever be used as a cop-out. But it's always there in the background. A person who believes something, like I'll give you an example, like myself, I believe that there is no zakat to be paid on gold jewelry. I don't believe that. I don't believe there's zakat to be paid on women's jewelry at home, um, even if they only wear it on Eid or only wear it very, very rarely. And that's the position of Shafi'i. And it's, uh, it's not the dominant position in the world, if you like. It's the Saudi, the Salafi, the Albani, and the Hanafi position, which pretty much covers the whole world, basically. That is that you do pay upon your jewelry, okay? And I don't pay upon, and, and I don't believe that it is. But I still do pay it. I still pay it. Because for me, it's nothing, it's, it, you know, it's what, 50 quid, 100 quid, or whatever, the plus she's borrowing. Yeah? I don't remember, to be honest. Ah, damn right, man. What was going to I wonder, I said, I can't be keep paying this bakwas every year. So, um, so I do pay it, even though I don't believe it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, it's, it's good to be able to just do something on the safe side, especially if it involves an extra act of ibadah or charity or something like that. Alhamdulillah, that's best. Done? Are we done? Are we done? Anyone opens their mouth and tells me about anything to do with any kind of score, I swear to God, it's a flat silly. All right? I've not watched anything. I'm going to go and have a great evening. جزاكم الله خير سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت واستغفرك اللهم واتوب اليك السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته thank you everybody دانش next week yeah next week come here sure i don't